It's time for your local weekly analysis, Slow County Public Policy and the Law, with your host, Stu Jenkins. The Union Forever, hurrah, boys, hurrah, down with the traitor. Welcome back to Slow County Public Policy and the Law, only at KNews 98.5. Our studios are in San Luis Obispo, but we are broadcasting from the great metropolis of Santa Margarita. As a lawyer, I've helped people to protect their families and real estate with their estate plans. And since 1978, I have tried Slow County court cases that have struck down unconstitutional election laws, city ordinances criminalizing homelessness, and the Bureau of Cannabis Control's authorization of cannabis billboards on Highway 101. It has been my privilege to repeatedly serve as Superior Court Special Master. On this show, I bring you officials, lawyers, and organizations shaping public policy and law right here on Slow County Public Policy and the Law. Last week, I spoke with former Grover Beach Mayor Debbie Peterson about her book, The Happiest Corruption, that tracks endemic corruption in San Luis Obispo County governments since, 19, excuse me, since 1850. And I introduced our listeners to Heather Moreno, mayor of Atascadero and a knowledgeable candidate campaigning for 5th District County Supervisor at the March 5th 2024 election. If you missed those important policy perspectives, log into the podcast of last week's interviews at knews985.com. Then click on the tab for Slow County Public Policy and the Law and scroll down to the latest podcasts. Of course, you can also hear this program that way and share it with your friends. This hour, we are going to have a thoughtful discussion with attorney Andrew S. Russell. Mr. Russell provides legal counsel and representation related to corporate and business transactions, employment law, and products liability at Carmel and Nakasha, a firm right here in San Luis Obispo. But I understand he actually is of counsel to that firm and is a partner in a Boston law firm. So we're going to get into that soon. The last few weeks of June, the U.S. Supreme Court term wrapped up and included so many politically controversial cases that uh, cases like cases on affirmative action, redistricting, and website developers' choices of clients. All of that obscures obscure decisions that in normal times would be considered blockbusters. In these lesser-known cases, liberal and conservative justices teamed up together to make law. And now business, local governments, and property owners need to adjust their operations and expectations. That's why I asked Mr. Russell to appear today to let our listeners know about one of those blockbuster cases, Mallory versus Norfolk Southern Railway Company. I always love it when a railroad is involved. Welcome to the show, Andrew. Oh, thank you for so much for having me. Pleasure to be here. Well, it's good to have you here. And, you know, before we get into the case, let's find out a little bit about Andrew Russell. Where, where are you from? Yeah, I grew up just north of Boston, Massachusetts. Went to high school and college out that way. Uh, met my wife, who is from San Luis Obispo, in college. Aha. Uh-huh. 
Uh, and that, that's how we get all our best people. <laughs> uh, and yeah, um, I went to law school out in California. Uh, she went to medical school in California. Okay. Uh, we spent a little bit of time in the Midwest during her medical training and uh, ended up back in California after she was done with her residency and fellowship in the Midwest. Wow. Now, what kind of medicine does your wife practice? Uh, she's a pediatric geneticist. Wow. So she works for UCLA. Okay. Okay. And you all live here? We do. Yep. Moved here right during COVID. That, I think a lot of other people. Well, that's wonderful that we were able to get such talented folks here. Now, what's the law firm in Boston you're a partner in? Yeah, it's called Pierce, Davis, and Peritano. I'm basically the California office uh, with another gentleman, but they're headquartered out of Boston, Massachusetts. And you work with Carmel and Nakasha here? I do, as of counsel on certain litigation matters. I help them out. Okay. And you seem to really love bar exams because you're admitted in Massachusetts. I guess you took the bar exam in Kentucky, too. Yeah, thankfully. I took California first. First, okay. uh, then I took Kentucky because we were in Ohio. My wife was doing her residency and fellowship just in over Cincinnati. the river. Yep. Yeah. And uh, then I was able to wave into Massachusetts via Kentucky. Wow. So. Okay. Clever. <laughs> <laughs> well, let's talk a little bit about this case. I, uh, if I can introduce a little bit of it for our listeners. When when I was in law school, we all learned, you know, we have this federal system. Of course, a lot of the big corporations are based in states like Delaware. And that way, if you need to sue them, you'd have to go to the state where they, quote, lived, i.e. where they were formed, uh, even if their owners lived all across the country. So this is a important jurisdictional issue. Uh, I'm just going to read from the dissents. Uh, you have Justice Barrett, who teamed up with Justice Kagan and Kavanaugh. So here, here's a case where the dissent is uh, one conservative and two liberal judges. Yeah, and the chief justice also dissented. And the chief justice. So, so you actually, you've got four. It was a five to four decision on the Mallory versus Norfolk Southern Railway case. And the dissent says, for 75 years, we have held that the due process clause does not allow state courts to assert general jurisdiction over foreign defendants. And foreign defendants means some defendant from another state. as well as another country, merely because they do business in the state. So if you've got somebody doing business in California and their corporation is in Delaware, you got to go to Delaware to sue them. Pennsylvania, though, they came up with a great idea. Pennsylvania nevertheless claims general jurisdiction over all corporations that lawfully do business within its borders. As the Commonwealth's own courts recognized, that flies in the face of our precedents. And basically what uh, Pennsylvania had done is they'd set up a program where you couldn't do business in Pennsylvania if you came from out of state unless you registered with them. Is that right? Yes, that's right. Okay. Now, tell us about Mallory and the the important changes. Sure. Uh, well, Mr. Mallory had a uh, personal injury case. Uh, involving his work on a railroad, Norfolk Southern Railroad. So he was an employee of this company. He was. And so he he filed this lawsuit under FELA, which is essentially the uh, workers' compensation scheme for railroad workers. Sure. And and, and so basically, um, Mr. Mallory, while he worked for Norfolk Southern, was in Ohio and in Virginia. Um, And he stopped working at, uh, well, while he was working there, he uh, alleged to have been in uh, contact with carcinogens that caused him to later develop cancer. Um, 
But what, what happened was is that he had left his job. He moves to Pennsylvania for a time, then moves to Virginia, and then decides to sue his former employer under FELA back in Pennsylvania. Um, the and, and the company. Now, why did he pick Pennsylvania? I'm not entirely sure. It doesn't really talk about it in the yeah. case. Um, uh, that there's some s- references to form shopping. Uh, potentially, was a better venue as a plaintiff uh, in this particular case. Um, but uh, in the face of the lawsuit, Norfolk Southern, which is incorporated in Virginia and its principal place of business was in Virginia, objected to personal jurisdiction in Pennsylvania because there were there was no connection between Mr. Mallory's causes of action. Uh, in Pennsylvania. He didn't work in Pennsylvania when he was exposed to carcinogens. He didn't currently live in Pennsylvania when he filed this lawsuit. And the defendant, Norfolk Southern, was not at home, quote-unquote, in uh, Pennsylvania. They were at home in Virginia. Uh, This is because corporations are people. Well, yeah, Yeah. under the law. Under the law. They have, Mm -hmm. for general jurisdiction, they typically look at a corporation's what's called its domicile. Sure. So people have one domicile. Corporations have two. Uh, the, your principal place of business is a domicile for a corporation, as is where you're incorporated. Uh, in this instance, they're in the same place. They're both in the Commonwealth of Virginia. Both in Virginia. Yes. Okay. And and uh, so he sued in federal court? I believe or in state, state court. court. It was in state court, yeah. Okay. And why was it that the state court thought they could uh, actually handle this case? Well, uh, the state court, he they did challenge personal jurisdiction, uh, it goes all the way up to the Pennsylvania Supreme Court, mm-hmm. and the Pennsylvania Supreme Court actually sides with Norfolk Southern and says that the law that's in Pennsylvania is overreaching. Uh, their long-arm statute, which if you were registered to do business in Pennsylvania, like Norfolk Southern did, because they did business in Pennsylvania, then they would have to answer to any claim that came their way in Pennsylvania. Uh, Pennsylvania has a very robust <laughs> long-arm statute, uh, more uh, robust than most other states in the, in the United States. More than California? Yes, more than California. Okay, wow. How, how, how is it more robust? Uh, folks, a long-arm statute, by the way, is uh, a statute that allows a state court to take jurisdiction over people or companies that are not in their state. Yeah. So in, in California, uh, doing business in the state of California, if you are out of state and registered to do business in California does not subject you to general jurisdiction in California. Uh, It's a Bristol-Myers Squibb decision, uh, California Supreme Court, and it went up to the United States Supreme Court. Mm -hmm. Um, It's one of the many cases that um, Judge uh, Barrett, excuse me, Justice Barrett uh, refers to uh, in her rather lengthy dissent uh, in the Mallory case. And uh, so how did did, uh, the Supreme Court in the Mallory case come out different? Well, uh, as far as I see it, although it's a 5-4 decision for precedent purposes, it's really a 4-1-4 decision. Um, there were, uh, for, for, the, um, for the majority, uh, Justice Gorsuch wrote the opinion, yeah. and he was joined by Justice Thomas, Justice Sotomayor, and Justice Jackson, which is a little bit of a uh, both sides of the Again. philosophical aisle. Yeah. Um, and then Justice Alito, he concurred in the judgment, but he gives a rather long concurring opinion why he thought the result was correct, but uh, it shouldn't, uh, robust uh, long-arm statutes such as those in Pennsylvania shouldn't be challenged by the due process clause. They should be challenged by the dormant commerce clause. Oh my. So yeah, <laughs> uh, it gets it gets a little bit uh, 
brings us back to con law days in law school. But uh, he basically thinks that the uh, the due process argument, uh, and this is from me reading between the lines of the opinion, Justice Alito is a procedural due process guy, not a substantive due process guy. That's true. And so yeah. he doesn't think that due process is violated in this instance because he believes that they filled out the paperwork to be registered. They did it. I think they were registered in Pennsylvania for well over 20 years yeah. before they brought this challenge. And in his opinion, that doesn't violate due process because they consented. They knew what they were doing. So basically, uh, they can't complain because uh, they already consented to the jurisdiction when they registered. Exactly. And that was in writing. Yep. And and uh, folks, the for Justice Alito, the Commerce Clause basically says that uh, only Congress can regulate Congress between commerce between the several states, and so uh, you have freedom to buy and sell between states as long as uh, Congress hasn't uh, limited that somehow. Um, the the, uh, the I like your description of a four to four to one decision here because uh, that. that just means that there's more openings for potential litigation down the road, doesn't it? Yeah, uh, Justice Alito and his uh, concurring opinion really lays the roadmap out to challenge this under the Dormant Commerce Clause, which basically is the inverse of the com- Commerce Clause, where the Commerce Clause says that only Congress shall regulate interstate commerce. Right. Uh, states can't unnecessarily burden interstate commerce. That's the Dormant Commerce Clause. It's just the inverse. Um, so basically, his argument is, is that this unduly burdens uh, in interstate commerce, because if Pennsylvania can do this, what's stopping the other 49 states? And then why have general jurisdiction at all? And yet he he concurred in the outcome. He did. And that's... So it's that's... A, <laughs> I don't... Yeah, I mean, without getting too much into uh, uh, personalities within the court, um, I just, I think that he's um, uh, very rigid in the play, the, how he believes... Uh, issues like this should be ruled on and addressed. And he doesn't want to step into a substantive due process issue. That's my own in- interpretation okay. of this. Okay. Um, whereas uh, in the dissent, like you had said, Justice Barrett, uh, she goes on for pages and pages <laughs> about the parade of horribles that's going to potentially come forward if all of these other states do what Pennsylvania did. Well, um in Justice Jackson's concurring opinion, uh, she she also concurred as well as joining in the uh, the main opinion. How did she differ from the main opinion at all? So her um, her thoughts and her concurring opinion were essentially uh, personal jurisdiction is a waivable defense. So um, as, a, as litigators, we know that uh, subject matter jurisdiction is one of those ones that never goes away. But personal jurisdiction, if, if you appear in court, you waive personal jurisdiction. Sure. And so her argument is, is like those other types of lit- litigation conduct, uh, like appearing in a court hearing or, or being served somewhere if you're a person, uh, you now personal jurisdiction is no longer on the table as a defense. And so her thought was, well, look, they consented. It's a waivable defense. Andrew, years ago, uh, you know, I had uh, cases where uh, service was always the key thing. You'd have people from different counties, you know, circling each other, trying to serve, sometimes from different states. And uh, 
So those were always amazing adventures uh, when we would, uh, sometimes we'd have process servers, sometimes we'd have to do it ourselves and go slap somebody with service. A, uh, how shall I say it, a privileged assault when you hit, hit them with the papers and they're running away. Um, what, one of the things that caught my eye and why I invited you in here was that you were quoted in an article in the Paso Robles Daily News uh, analyzing this case. Um, this is the kind of case that is going to change the behavior of businesses uh, all over America. But how do you see that businesses are going to have to adjust? Yeah, I mean... Uh we are in a, a global economy, mm -hmm. in a, not to overstate it, but um, the, the days of doing intrastate commerce are kind of long gone. Um, everybody, for the most part, <laughs> uses the internet or sure. phone lines mm -hmm. or whatever, mm -hmm. and people transact business across state lines. And in doing so, uh, we register to do business as a foreign co corporation, LLC, or what have you. Certain... Uh, certain businesses now have to be vigilant uh, of whether or not when they actually register to do business in a state, does that state have a robust long-arm statute where they can be hauled into court on any lawsuit? Um, and so, I mean, one of the seminal cases we all learn in law school is international shoe. Sure. They're talking about international shoe a lot in this case. The, the uh, Justice Gorsuch believes that uh, Philadelphia, uh, was it, uh, Phil, uh, sorry, excuse me, Pennsylvania Fire and Insurance Company of Philadelphia versus Gold Issue Mining and Milling Company of 1917 is the precedent here and not International Shoe. International Shoe came afterwards in the 1940s. Um, what International Shoe had to deal with was in a case where there was not uh, consent by a corporation to be sued. Uh, and that's where Justice Gorsuch kind of Chain, parts ways with international shoe because he believes in this case they had consented. Uh, whereas Justice Barrett on the other side believes that it was not really consent. Uh, she had a pretty good uh, line in, in the uh, in the dissent. Basically she said uh, uh, what Mallory calls consent is what Pennsylvania Supreme Court called compelled submission to general jurisdiction by legislative command. <laughs> So, well, I, I, I can tell you that uh, having interviewed people in the state legislature, they're all sure that legislative command works. But uh, I'm not sure that that is always the case. The, the, uh, the, the question I have is, let's suppose you're uh, making, uh, you're manufacturing stuffed bears in San Luis Obispo, California, and you... Uh, Posted on the internet, and somebody from uh, Philadelphia sees it and they buy it. That's not the kind of thing where you've uh, registered to do business in the state of Pennsylvania. Um, how do you see something like that happening or it being treated? Uh, is that something where the state's got to hunt down the people doing business on the internet? Uh, would that sale be considered? For tax purposes, I think that sale is uh, considered to have taken place in Philadelphia. But for purposes of jurisdiction, would it be considered to have been there or here? 
Well, or is I'm, that the argument that's left open when there's no registration? Well, so w- what we're dealing with here is general jurisdiction, which is what this case deals with, and okay. specific jurisdiction. Since this company has sold a bear, and perhaps it's a defective bear, to someone in Pennsylvania, they absolutely, any company could be sued in Pennsylvania if that was the issue, if the transaction okay. or occurrence okay. occurred in the state. Um, that is typical anywhere. If, if, if that uh, teddy bear company, to use your example, had uh, a shipment sent to Nevada and somebody in the ordinary course and scope of their employment for the bear company got in a car accident in Nevada, they can absolutely be sued in Nevada. Um, that doesn't change anywhere. But this is an issue where, let's say, they registered to do business in Pennsylvania. They did. Right. Same car accident, same line of facts in Nevada. Now they can be sued in San Luis Obispo, California. We'll assume that they're incorporated in California, too, just for the sake of argument. But the car accident's in Nevada. But now they can be sued in Pennsylvania just for the basis of registering to do business in Pennsylvania. That's why this is oh kind my. of an absurd result. That, that, that would be – well, and actually with the facts of this particular case in Mallory, that, that is that absurd. Well, this is Stu Jenkins, your host at Slow County Public Policy and the Law. We're talking with uh, attorney Andrew Russell who, by the way, does products liability cases. In case you've got a bad product, a bad teddy bear from Pennsylvania. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Well, are there other things in the Mallory case that uh, you want to share with our listeners that you think are significant, Andrew? Yeah, I mean, I just found it very interesting um, as far as uh, this wasn't, as you said, a, a real lightning rod Ish case, um, given the other cases that were disclosed in and around this. And so oh, I, think, yeah. I think it was important to call attention to it because it will impact most companies. Um, and if you're a company that does business in multiple states, you're going to want to take another look at your registration and make sure that you're up to date in what you are actually agreeing to when you register. Um, because in most states, if you do business in those states, um, you know, internet type commerce might be excluded, but if you have a brick and mortar in a state, you're probably going to have to register to do business in that state. And so uh, you want to check out what, what those state laws say. Well, folks, you're listening to Slow County Public Policy and the Law. We're having a spirited discussion with Andrew Russell. Uh, stay tuned after the news and a, some important ads. Shut down me.